if money didn't matter. Business is a tool for life. You don't get what you want in life. You only get what you're willing to suffer for. You're entering the age of entrepreneurs with Clark Varon. How world-class entrepreneurs succeed in business and life. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing a close friend of mine, Tyler Olson. Tyler started his first business at 12 years old and sold it only, only to find himself in $150,000 of credit card debt. He dug his way out of that hole by starting a very successful social media marketing agency in Minneapolis, hired a CEO to run it, and is now preparing for digital warfare with his newest company, Shield Academy which educates people on how to protect their information from cyber criminals. Welcome, Tyler. Thank you, Clark. Glad to be on your show, and this will be a lot of fun today. Yeah, absolutely. I really am excited for our conversation because you truly embrace the uh, age of entrepreneurs culture. You have been a digital nomad. You have started your first business at 12 years old. Uh, you clearly are extremely unique. So my first question for you, Tyler, is when did you find out that you were different? <laughs> when did I find out? You know, that's an interesting question. I, I feel very lucky that I grew up in a family where my dad's an entrepreneur and he did a really good job at talking about concepts related to entrepreneurship my whole life. You know, when we would go places, he would say, look at those people having a problem over there. What do you think could be done to help help them have a better experience? And so we'd practice, you know, business ideas on the fly. Or he would talk about how some system or some process was very efficient and look at how McDonald's operates. Look how quickly, like, isn't it amazing that we can order and get a burger and fries that are what we want in less than a minute? Like, how is that even possible? And, you know, when, when I uh, started up a digital photography business back when I was in middle school, high school, I'd go to Valentine's dances and proms and golf charity tournaments and take pictures of people and print them off. You know, my dad had a digital camera and a printer, but he wouldn't just give them to me. He would make me sign an agreement to rent them from him. And so, you know, I had to have that experience of, okay, I'm taking on some risk. I'm renting this camera for the night and I got to pay whatever it was for that. I got to buy my own paper, my own ink. I got to, you know, he, he, he would drive me places, but I'd have to tell him where to go. <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> Uh, it was a really good experience. I feel very lucky to have had that upbringing. And, um, you know, along that path, I just knew that, you know, I, I had a few jobs in high school to have the experience of what it's like to work for somebody else. I worked at Circuit City. And I remember my first Circuit City manager, uh, when he gave me my first raise in life, it was like from $9.25 an hour to $9.35 an hour. So it was a dime raise. And I was like, okay. He's like, aren't you excited? This is your first raise in life. I said, Sam, I'm not here for the money. And he looks at me, he goes, what do you mean you're not here for the money? <laughs> Sam, the $9.35 is immaterial. It's meaningless in the comparison to the learning experience that you and Circuit City are teaching me right now. 
And I think that floored him at whatever age I was, probably 16 or 17 years old. And, you know, I just knew that that was not my path. I needed to do things on my own. I've always kind of done things my own way. And sure, that, you know, causes some problems in life. But, you know, um, it's more fun. It's more interesting. It's more entertaining. Uh, there's greater opportunity. It's the, the, the dream of the American dream, right, to, to do what you want to do when mm-hmm. you want to do it. And, yeah, there's a lot of stress and a lot of challenges over the years, uh, but there's some great upsides like living the do- digital nomad life for about a year and a half as well. And that was awesome. So you, when you were working for Circuit City, this is before Geek Squad existed, right? Uh, Geek Squad existed. Uh, it, um, uh, Circuit City did not have a Geek Squad equivalent. And my managers at Circuit City would allow me to hand out my business card to fix people's computers while I'm working at Circuit City to, 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 while I'm selling computers, I'd say, Hey, if you ever need somebody to fix it, here's my card. It worked great. Free marketing. Getting paid to market to my target <laughs> yeah, audience. Yeah, no kidding. So you, you use Circuit City as like an outlet for your own business. Absolutely. To find customers. That's awesome. And uh, rewinding, because not everyone knows uh, what this first business was. You're, you're 12 years old. Yes. And and you've been primed by your dad now of thinking entrepreneurial. What's going through your head as a 12-year-old where you're like, I'm going to start my own business fixing computers? Right. So I, 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 at the age of 12, uh, it was my first entrepreneurial experience. And I'm up in my grandparents' cabin near Brainerd. And the family next door said, we need a teenager to fix our computer. It was my first sales objection in life. I didn't know what a sales objection was, of course. But... I said, well, I'm not a teenager yet, but I'm sure I can fix your computer. (laughs) And so I went over and I fixed it up. And they said, well, what do we owe you? I've never been paid before. What do you want? I like brownies. So my first payment (laughs) in entrepreneurship was in brownies up at the cabin. And, you know, through middle school, high school, I had several different businesses from the digital photography business to painting mailboxes to dog walking to... Uh, 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 taking care of, you know, animals and fish and whatever. And I got to college. I had a cardboard box selling business. I had an airsoft gun dealing business. And then I really ramped up my IT business for about three, four or five years. Sold that to their IT firm. After I graduated, I was about 22, 23 years old. Started up a social media marketing company, ran that for about 10 years. Hired a CEO, be about a year and a half ago now. To take over, and now I've been working in the cybersecurity space the last year mm-hmm. or so. Mm-hmm. So you skipped over a lot of time in <laughs> in that like one paragraph. Twenty two um, years, actually. So I'm raising some capital right now, and I've got this buddy who introduces me, and he says, "You know, <clears throat> Tyler, he's only thirty four years, uh, thirty four years old, but he's got twenty two years of CEO experience." <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, you started a business in college. I mean, I have too. I, I kind of know like how crazy it can be trying to manage school and business at the same time. You were ramping up your IT company. You're ramping up Help Me Tie in college, right? Yes. So what did your like time management look like? Or what was your, generally, what was your college experience like? I'll back up a few years before that. I was the kid in middle school who had a Palm Pilot. You probably don't even know what that is. It is 
what we think of as a today's smartphone before there were smartphones. I mean, everybody had like, actually, let me clarify. Most people didn't have cell phones until I got to college. That's when I started to become common. I had a cell phone and I had a Palm Pilot because the cell phone didn't have a calendar, didn't have email, didn't have phone, didn't have, or camera, didn't have any of those things. It only did the phone thing. And so I had a Palm Pilot. It kept track of all my homework, all my classes, all my client projects, all of it. You know, it was black and white, but you know, it kept track of all that. And uh, so in college, you have to be organized. You know, you got to keep track of all of that. I remember I woke up on a Saturday morning. I'm at the University of St. Thomas doing the entrepreneurship program there. On a Saturday morning, my junior year, I wake up. I wake up at like 9 or 10 a.m. on that Saturday morning, and there's four people working in my bedroom, in my dorm room, on eight computers set up. I had a double bunk bed thing, and the lower level was just all client computers set up, and I was sleeping on the top bunk, and I got you know three, four people working on, on the lower level of my dorm room, which is like <laughs> – 12 by 15 or something. So, you know, it's not like it's big. And uh, that's what I realized. That was the day I said, you know, I need to, I need to get an office. I need to, I need to separate work-life balance a little bit more. And, uh, you know, I know you've had that experience, but you know, it was, it, it created a lot of memories. Our, uh, so we had two closets in the entire dorm uh, apartment. Uh, and my inventory was one full closet. Have, have I ever shown have I ever shown you a picture of what my travel young setup was like? I don't think so. In my in my college dorm room. <laughs> because I slept on the bottom bunk. Yeah. And I had all this camping gear, right? I had like two thousand dollars worth of camping gear that was on the top bunk and the bunk, it was so packed, like it was packed all the way up to the ceiling and the bunk. Uh, I could see when I went to bed every night that the bars above me were like caving in. And so every night I had to go to bed with the fear that I was going to get crushed by like a few hundred pounds of camping gear. That's funny. That is, that is one of the greatest stories. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> you know, life is, is full of hilarious and fun stories like that, especially when, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to know a lot about a lot of things. I mean, you think I'm at that point, I'm 20, I'm probably 20 years old. And I got to know about HR. I got to know about the laws. I got to know about sales tax. I have to know about taxes in general. I have to know about hiring and cash flow and sales and marketing. And oh, I've got an IT business. I got to know a little bit about IT. You know, people always ask, did I get an IT degree? No. How, how did you learn? I, 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 I'm constantly learning. So it's, it's, you know, entrepreneurship, you have to know about a lot. Of things and that's one of the challenges but it makes it fun you know it satisfies that ADD-ness you know that many of us have yeah absolutely always being challenged by the next thing and so at what point did you learn your lesson about accounting and cash flow <laughs> at what point did that problem start to come up, come up for me my favorite story around that is I had an entrepreneurial finance course the professor was Jay Eben at St. Thomas, uh, one of my favorite professors through all the years. And, you know, I've probably got about, um, it's probably about a $10,000, $15,000 month revenue business at this point. And it's my junior year of college. And he's talking about this cash flow concept, this simple concept of 
paying your bills when they're due versus when you receive them and trying to get client money up front versus, you know, net 30 days, which is very normal. And so I thought, I'll try it, see what happens. And I do that. And that simple concept of paying bills 30 days later than you normally did and trying to get client money 30 days before you typically did creates a 60-day cash window. Now, on a $15,000 a month revenue business, the, about a month and a half later, I had $30,000 more in my bank account than I did before. And I said, hold it, Jay, we got to have this lesson again. I don't understand what just happened. Like I'm doing the same amount of business and I've always kind of had a, a cash balance about the same level. I know $30,000 more than I've ever had in my life because of something you taught me and I don't understand it. Can we go over this lesson again? And so we talked about it in greater detail. It was great in class to be able to have an actual student doing a business to be able to bring that question back to class. And then the class was able to apply it directly to my business. Every class I was in was applied to my business. It was very helpful. So you are now learning about cash flow and you're getting better and better at managing that cash flow and having more and more money in your bank account. And you're like, <laughs> wow, I'm making loads of money. Um, at what point did you realize, wait a second, there's a different the, there's a difference between like cash flow and profits? I thought I understood that concept and I realized how much how, how much I misunderstood that concept at the point that I sold the IT business. So, you know, my my when that light bulb turned on, I found all the opportunities I could possibly come up with to maximize that cash flow. And so, for example, I figured out there was a way to pay employees, not contractors, employees via credit card with no processing fees. And I had that all that whole system figured out. It was legal, all that kind of stuff. And that gives me another 45 days. So now if I get client money up front, uh, you know, usually two, three weeks before we even have the appointment when we schedule it. Right. And then they do the work and then our payroll was two weeks later. And then I had 45 days past that. I now have 90 days of cash. Um, wow. uh, and you know, I think at our peak, we're maybe doing 330,000 a month in revenue. So that turned into an extra hundred thousand in cash, which I then spent to grow on growing the company more. And then I lived in a house that I was managing is about a $5,000 a month rent payment for this house that I had a whole bunch of roommates in and they would all pay me and then I would pay the landlord via credit card to get another 45 days on $5,000 a month. So we got another 15 or 20 on that. And um, I had no concept of accrual versus cash accounting. No concept of it. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm sure I was taught it. I must not have paid attention to that class or something. But the point that I sold the business, what I didn't realize is my receivables, my cash no longer comes in right? I get no more cash coming in. But I now have 90 or in some cases, 120 days of cash outflows that are still my liability. It's that that that's still occurred mm -hmm. when I was running the company. So when mm -hmm. you have 90 or 120 days, you know, on 30, 40,000 a month or whatever it was at the time, um, it turned into about $125,000 in debt that I just had no idea that I had. And it just added up. And uh, so when I sold the business, I ended up with about $150,000 in 
and credit card debt at credit card interest rates and I had no income. And so um, I was debating going bankrupt and uh, figured out a way to not be, not have to go bankrupt. And that's another whole lesson we could talk about, but um, was able to pay all of that off over time. So this is one of those moments when a lot of people could realize, hey, I've got 150 grand credit card debt. I never want to be an entrepreneur again. This was the worst experience ever. Um, what was like, you clearly handled it very differently uh, and you had a different approach. So I'm curious, what was going through your mind at that point at like an emotional level? Well, let's be clear. There definitely were days where I thought exactly that. This is not worth it. Uh, it's stressful, high anxiety. You feel like a failure. Um, there are lots of emotions that are challenging around everything about that situation, right? You know, it's frustration, it's sadness, it's shame, it's guilt. There's lots of emotions around all of that. And, you know, I was debating going bankrupt on all of that. And the turning point for me to rebuild my optimism was I was in a, uh, I'm in this organization called EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization, which is the best investment of time money I've ever made. We can talk about that later as well. Um, and I'm in this group of entrepreneurs who are able to confidentially talk about anything. And somebody says something similar to Tyler, it's only 150,000. Like, how long do you think it would take you to pay that off? Let's just, let's just talk about scenarios. Like if we could figure out a way to have this be a five-year payment schedule, five years divided by 150 is 30 grand a year. That's two and a half grand a month. Tyler, you can, you can find two and a half grand a month. You're good at this. And I thought, yeah, that's right. That's not that much money. And I'll, I'll figure out a way to just sell more than that to be able to keep mm -hmm. paying, you know, two and a half thousand dollars a month and figure out a way to make it work, you know? And she's like, you know, you could go bankrupt and it could impact your life for the next seven or eight years in lots of different ways, or you could just figure out a way to get two and a half thousand dollars a month. And I thought I never even before then I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's exactly what it can be. And that's not a lot of money when you're in the entrepreneur mindset. And so I was able to go from no income to enough to be able to pay for that, to then keep growing. And you just kind of, you survive, you know, the, uh, one of the key characteristics of what makes successful entrepreneurs is the survivalist mentality of you just do whatever it takes to survive. Totally. Totally. And that's, it's kind of interesting that you say that because that's why when I travel uh, and you've been all, you've been all over the world, you've seen people who are, you know, living in third world countries and things like that. That's when I go see those places, those are the most entrepreneurial places I've ever seen because yes. they are so resourceful. They've got nothing and they make something from nothing. Yes. It's so fun to see, you know, it's on one hand, it's sad because they're so poor, but then you see everybody is an entrepreneur, find a way to make ends meet. I mean, totally. almost everybody in some capacity, even if you've got full-time work somewhere, mm -hmm. you're still, an, it's, it's, uh, you know, whether it's Bali or Thailand, I mean, it's just everywhere. It's great. One of these days I'm going to bring you to Uganda because it's the most entrepreneurial country in the world, 
by like two times. Cool. The first, the first one is Uganda. It's got like a 60% rate of entrepreneurship and Thailand is behind that at like 30%. Nice. Yeah. It's yeah. You'll love it because the atmosphere there is like an entrepreneur's dream. It's just vibrating with awesome energy. Yeah. So I'm curious, <laughs> what's the interest payment on 150 grand of debt? Like how much in interest did you have to pay per month? Well, uh, you know, when you have that much debt and you have no income uh, and you miss a payment or two, it, it goes to the, the legal maximum at the time was 29.9%. So most of it was at 29.9%. On 150 grand, that means there is about a third, about $50,000. That's $4,000 a month in interest. Yeah, it's a thousand bucks a week in interest. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that was the situation I was in after I sold my company. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and you're not paying off the loan. You're just trying to cover the interest. So uh, at this point, like I can see how you're just being completely bombarded with like, how am I going to cover the interest rates? And that mentor did, did, she, is she the one who is like, Hey, haggle with the credit card companies, like see what you can do. Yeah. You know, there was this concept that, that makes a ton of sense to me now. Um, and it did after we had this conversation, but you know, when you think about that, the banks want their money, they don't want you to go bankrupt. And when you're on the verge of bankruptcy, you actually have a ton of negotiation leverage because they either get something or they get nothing. And so I found this organization I used, technically it was Lutheran Social Services, but it's just, you know, it's a nonprofit that helps people in a financial situation uh, negotiate on your behalf. And they, get this, reached out to all the credit card companies for me, had all those difficult conversations and had the, the, the simple conversation of either Mr. Or Mrs. Bank, you are charging 1% interest at, on a five year, the longest term legal payment schedule, or you, or everybody gets zero. So you either agree to this or you get zero. And everybody, and here's, here's the transparent, here's how much debt Tyler has, here's where it all is. He has agreed to be able to pay this per month for five years. We verified that we he can do that, and um, but if if you want anything more than one percent or anything less than five years, everybody gets zero, and everybody agreed. Wow, that that is like the opportunity mindset there. Like, where is the silver lining? And I've noticed that you particularly have one of the most uh, driven opportunity mindsets of anybody I've ever met. And we're going to get into like, I, I'm, I want to ask about like the Super Bowl and, you know, the COVID masks and things like that. But uh, I'm still curious. So you're now 23 years old. It's what, like 2009, something like that? Yeah. Yep. Somewhere in there. 2009. And at what point did the social media agency, what's now Modern Foundation, when did that idea pop up? There was a, uh, one of the most valuable conversations I've had. One of my mentors, he pulls me aside after a meeting one day and says, Tyler, if you ever want to start a new business, I would invest in you. 
I thought, that sounds like an awesome learning experience to learn how to think like an investor. I'd like to have an investor just to see what happens and see what that's like and learn to think like he does because he's clearly wiser and more experienced than I am. And so I had some sales training at this point. And so I asked the question, what would you need from me to want to invest in something? And he gave me five things that he'd want to see from me. And uh, I'm still operating the IT business at the time. So I decided that I wanted to sell the IT business and start something new. I started meeting on a weekly basis with two other brilliant entrepreneur-minded people. And we spent about two, three months brainstorming ideas of what the next business we could do together would be. We then spent about two to three months making miniature versions of all of these businesses to see what would stick and what would, what would fly. And then another month or two, really building a business plan on like two or three that we thought would be best. And then we showed all those to Shane Erickson, my mentor. And he said, I think you guys would be best at this one here. If you go sell 10 grand of anything related to this concept, I'll invest in you. I thought I can sell 10 grand. So I went and did that and came back and he said, all right, I'll invest. And then he helped find additional investors to then help get us started. And then we went from, uh, you know, I'm in the process of selling the IT business. It hasn't sold yet. Uh, we've got the three founders working together. We then started hiring three people immediately. So we went from no business to investment and six people uh, before this was even sold. That sold about a month or two later. You know, and I'm, you know, there's just a lot of things going on, but great learning experience for lots of reasons. So Modern Foundation, well, it was first SMC Pros, but Modern Foundation started before Help Me Tie was over. Uh, Is that right? Technically and legally, yes. Yep. So you weren't even aware of the credit card debt situation when you started Modern Foundation. Uh, I had an inkling of it by that point, but I was not aware to the extent. No. Interesting. And then how did that pressure of, I need to get at least 2,500 bucks a month help? Did it help fuel you? Did it stress you out? Like how did all of the above? Yeah. It's stress, (laughs) it's fuel, it's, it, 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 it inspires drive. You know, you just, you have to survive, you know, you now, now at this point, I have new investors that I'm responsible to. I have co-founders I'm responsible to. I have employees that are making more than my previous employees were making. So I have to help make sure their families are fed. So you just, you have to go. Now, fortunately, we already knew that this business was going to be able to grow faster than the IT business. It was going to be able to be more profitable than the IT business. So like that was already a part of the plan, a part of the business model that we had figured out. And so it was uh, easier to be able to pull in more finance more quickly. Um, but yeah, you know, you just got to go. So I'm curious with a social media marketing agency, mm-hmm. there are plenty of people who are starting these types of businesses nowadays without any investors. Mm-hmm. So in your situation, what do you think some of the pros and cons are of having investors for a company? Right. So one thing to, to be mindful of social media in 2020 It's very different than social media in 2009. There were no social media companies in the Twin Cities or almost no companies uh, in 2009. We were 
literally one of the first five or three that I was aware of. Um, no independent people working on it. No, most people at the time, nobody understood that social media was good for business. Nobody. There were no Facebook pages. It wasn't even a concept. Facebook ads had just launched. <laughs> okay. YouTube had just converted from a dating website to what we think of it now. A lot of people forget or didn't know that YouTube started as a dating website. Twitter had just launched like a year and a half earlier. So these Tweet, are Twitter. Tweeter, right? <laughs> Before uh, it was Twitter. Which a lot of people don't know, Twitter started as a text messaging platform. So it had just converted from a text messaging platform. Okay. So it's a totally different world than we live in today. And uh, we raised money partially because I wanted to learn how to think like an investor. That really was the sole drive. Could we have done it without money? Probably. Would we have been, been better off? Hard to know. But I think the learning experience that I and we gained as a team because of having a strong, experienced board and investment was the right decision for me and for us at that time. And you've got accountability. And you have accountability, which some people think is good and some people think it's bad, but it definitely was helpful. Interesting. So you saw the opportunity, hey, social media is like hardly even a thing. Nobody thinks it's good for business. Nobody. But I think I think it's going to be good for business. Therefore, I'm going to start a bit start start another company. Yep. I go ahead. <laughs> I I knew it was a matter of time before businesses woke up and realized that they can make money from these platforms. Nobody believed this to start. There were no hashtags on TV, you know, uh, channels. There's uh, Facebook pages didn't exist. <laughs> okay, so. You know, one of our first clients was a bowling alley, and um, we set them up with a Facebook profile because that's what you did back then. And, you know, uh, help them connect with people that bowled there. And they're like, why would you friend me? I don't even use Facebook. There was, I mean, there was still only a, a, a fourth of people even had Facebook. And back then, like, it was still primarily a school-based platform. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a totally different world. But, yeah, I knew it was a matter of time before businesses realized I had already generated a ton of marketing sales from my social media accounts and knew that was the future. And so we were mm -hmm. early on in that space. Mm -hmm. But you have been this person who sees opportunities that are easily overlooked by other people. Yes. Like, could you go and tell the Super Bowl story? Can you explain uh, how you saw an opportunity there when no one else did? Yes. Uh, so uh, it was maybe 20, 2016. <clears throat> I hired an entrepreneurship intern from Carlson School. And I said, I want to start a new business this summer. <clears throat> uh, and I want to break even by the end of summer. And... We brainstormed ideas together, what that business should be. And he pitched this idea, well, what if we did Airbnb? I think it looks like it should be an easy way to make money. I said, that sounds like fun. Um, and I was thinking maybe it would give me an ability to travel in the future. And so for lots of reasons, whether it's the passive income or just owning real estate faster. And most entrepreneurs say they built wealth with real estate. Lots of reasons why that made sense. So I rented an apartment downtown Minneapolis. And uh, he figured it out. He furnished it. 
Um, he cleaned, he did all, all most of the work for it. And, uh, we, we three X our expenses in the first month, um, doing that. And so, you know, that first winter, uh, in Minnesota here, winters are terrible for anything mm-hmm. rentals. So, you know, we learned that, you know, it's not hundred percent great. So we learned that, but then we figured out how, like, we, we asked the question, how do we scale this? Like what, uh, how can we grow this concept? and make more from it. So we went from one unit to four units by that spring. I went from four to eight by that summer. And that Super Bowl was the next winter. So we went from eight to 12. So we had 12 apartments down to Minneapolis that we rented and re-rented with permission on Airbnb. And just to kind of talk about the math real quick, uh, most of these apartments I was renting for about $1,500 a month for one bedroom down to Minneapolis. And for the Super Bowl, people were paying $1,500 per night. And, uh, I think our average reservation was five or five and a half nights. And so we paid, I mean, three months of the entire company's expenses in a week weekend, frankly. And, um, it worked out, it worked out well. Um, and my part of the, you know, the, the, the joy and challenge of entrepreneurship is I thought, well, I should rent out the place that I live. That just makes sense. And I've got a team here that can handle all this work. They've been doing the work anyways already. And so I flew to Colorado to ski the week of the Super Bowl. And the team was here doing all the work. I was on calls with them from the ski slopes the whole time. And they did an awesome job managing just the total chaos of downtown and the the guest needs. And, you know, we thought, well, maybe these people want things and services. These people have a ton of money. So we stocked fridges before people showed up. Uh, we charged for that. Uh, we had somebody hire a, 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 a limo driver. We had somebody request a bodyguard. Uh, we had, you know, Minnesota gift packages. And, you know, I'm on the phone with this venture capitalist. And uh, he says he wants, you know, a 24-7 limo driver for eight days. <laughs> and he asked me what, the, um, what that would cost. I said, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the math of this. I can probably find somebody who could do 24 seven, maybe for 25 bucks an hour. Cause some people are looking for jobs right now. Um, so I asked a hundred bucks an hour, hundred bucks an hour, 24 seven for eight days. And I found somebody, I think I paid him 30 or $33 an hour. And, um, it worked. I found out later that the average limo driver was getting $200 an hour. Didn't know at the time, made it up, kept pushing forward. Wow. And then the ultimate dream with Airbnb, uh, that was to, to what, like, why did you start that company? So I went, I went to the Airbnb conference in LA one of those years and somebody was telling me how he had a place in Northern Italy. He had a place in the Caribbean. He had a place in Colorado. He had a place wherever he actually lived. And he would make money and rent them out on Airbnb when it was not there. But then when he wanted to go there, he could just show up. Everything was set up the way he wanted it to be. And it was a great way to build wealth and real estate and automate it and have passive income and travel the world more easily. And I thought that is what I want to do. And so that's the dream. That's the dream. We expanded into <laughs> houses the in all of the coolest places. <laughs> right. So that's the dream. Uh, I haven't been able to achieve that dream yet, but 
uh, I at least partially achieved it with having passive income from the business here in Minnesota. We expanded into Colorado and uh, I went out there a week, a month for about 12 months, maybe 15 months. That was great. And um, skied a lot. So I don't know. It's been fun. <laughs> but it's got so its challenges. Little... Yeah. It... One thing that impresses me about you is that you juggle a lot of things. You are, uh, I mean, you, you started Modern Foundation and you started the Airbnb company like while you were still working at Modern. And uh, then you travel a lot. And now you also have Shield Academy. Uh, but in the interim, you uh, started this mask business, which we haven't even gotten into yet. Um, but my, my question is like, regarding time management, and focus. Everyone says, you know, the less you do, the more, the less you focus on, the more you can do, right? And I'm curious, how do you manage juggling everything and still being as productive as you are? Like, what what tips could you share? It's very hard. Let's start there. It's it's very hard. <clears throat> it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of uh, mindfulness concentration, uh, difficult decisions. Uh, really key, one of the keys is organization. And I've chosen to have my entire life in Trello. So all the businesses have Trello boards and they're organized uh, as simply as they can be to have effective conversations. All of the companies have, uh, we use what's called EOS, so the Entrepreneurial Operating System or Traction. There's a book called Traction, one of the best books I've ever read. Um, it becomes the operating system for the whole business. And so we have consistent weekly level 10 meetings uh, for these businesses and talk through the issues and the actions and who does what and kind of the key rocks of the quarter. And that helps everything at least be closer to staying on track to achieving the mission. And um, it's hard. You know, I have many mentors that remind me to, to focus and, and, um, it's, it's hard, you know, as an entrepreneur, you want to do all these things. And so it's mm -hmm. a difficult balance. I chose, you know, to focus exclusively on modern foundation for about eight of the 10 years. And then I just saw this time horizon where it's just like, you know what, emotionally, mentally, I have to do something else at some point. Um, I got to prepare for that, which is part of the reason I, um, I didn't even do much with the Airbnb business. You know, we'd have a weekly level 10 meeting. I capped myself at four hours a week for about 18 months with that business. I said, I will not be spending more than four hours a week. You guys have to do all the work. I'll be funding it and making decisions and you guys go. And um, so I could keep focusing on Modern Foundation to help it get to that next level. And, uh, but it's, it's hard. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy. What kind of routines have you had to develop to, you know, manage the hectic lifestyle? I have lots of routines, lots of habits. Now, as an entrepreneur mindset, it's very hard to follow them because you want to do something else. You want you want to break your own rules that you set for yourself all the yeah. time, right? Yeah. Um, but I have a Trello board for all of the habits that I know are best for me. I know that I have maximum effectiveness as a human, as Tyler Olson, when I follow these habits. So I have my morning routines. I have my 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 weekend routines. Um, I have the things that I need to accomplish. And when I am at peak effectiveness is when I'm following all of those things. Mm -hmm. 
So let's dive into one of them. Like it, what kind of routine would you pick your morning routine? Sure. What, what do you do? Yeah. So for me, you know, the morning and I'll even pull it up here, I suppose, uh, may not screen share this. Um, but I find, let me just pull it up. Exactly. Um, so yeah, this is great. <laughs> I've never met anyone who has their morning routine documented. Of course. <laughs> Life is more effective this way. Weekday morning routine. <clears throat> Estimate of curious... two hours. <laughs> Wait, for real? Two hour morning routine? Yeah. During the week? So uh, no phone. So just don't touch the phone when you wake up. I start with a snack. Then medications, vitamins. Make the bed. Uh, Headspace app or mindfulness, which is like a 10, 12 minute thing. Uh, I've got a five minute journal exercise that I do and everything's in Evernote for that. Um, I work out and typically what I do is I'm on the treadmill going through emails and just kind of the simple emails that you can just archive or do quick responses to. So I'll be on the treadmill while I'm doing emails and I'll read the Wall Street Journal for the day, uh, which I just, I, I love, I love knowing about what's going on high level in the world. And I find it's really valuable for lots of reasons. Then I have breakfast. Then I'll shower. Then I'll go to my Trello of, all right, what are my highest priorities for today? What do I have to get done today? I find that when I go through that two-hour routine in the morning, I am at maximum effectiveness. It's slightly different for weekends. Um, uh, it's slightly different for like my, my Sunday. I've got a bunch of other things that I do. Um but in general, those are the things that maximize my effectiveness. Absolutely. And if you don't do it, do, I, you seem like you're pretty focused, although you have mentioned, you know, the entrepreneur ADD all over the place. Uh, do you feel like, like how, how much do you feel like ADD actually affects you? Uh, a lot. <laughs> I don't know a lot, really. <laughs> I mean, I've never been diagnosed, but I think every entrepreneur has some form of it. Um, it's good and it's bad, right? The good parts of ADD, people who have ADD typically are able to be, to, to do more things than those who don't. They're able to get more things done when they're, when they're, when they're just doing whatever, right? There's mm -hmm. typically more creativity. There's typically more um, they're fun people to be around, right? Um, they have more ideation in general, <clears throat> but then the weakness is, you know, it's tough to focus on any single thing and it's tough to go, all right, this is my morning routine. I have to do this again. Can I just change it for today? Um, you know, so that's, it's the, the hardest part is actually the battle every day for me, at least of, I know that I'll achieve my goals more effectively if I do this routine, but I get so bored of monotonous routines that I've been doing every day for the last however many months and years, right? Let's just mm -hmm. change it today. Let's, let's see if this works better. You know, mm -hmm. and I know it doesn't, but <laughs> you know, um, and, and like uh, uh, a lot of people with ADD suffer with boredom, right? And it's like, I don't actually get bored because I have so many things, but Mm -hmm. Um, it's more of like, it's more of the fear of boredom that then causes you to do things that are not your peak effectiveness, you know? So one of my weaknesses is I play video games. And when I start a video game, man, it is so hard to stop. Um, you know, 
I think every entrepreneur has some form of addictiveness level, right? You know, you yeah, get addicted. You, you have you have to be a workaholic to succeed as an entrepreneur in some capacity, right? And mm -hmm. you know, therefore, if you're workaholic, many people who have won uh, aholics, uh, you have other addictions, other things, right? And, and so you just have to be careful <laughs> yeah. of all those things. Yeah, totally. And just really quick time check. You have another ten minutes. Yeah, I can probably do do another ten or, or, or five. Yep. Okay. Um. So, ah, oh, there's two things I wanna I wanna ask about. One thing that I've always been curious of. You are you hired a sales coach, and you've been very like focused on building your sales sales uh, ability. One thing that I've noticed about you as a salesman uh, that's very unique is you you say you have a list of every single person that you've met. <laughs> what is that? Like how and when did that start and and what just tell me what what is it? <laughs> you know, over time, especially when your survivalist instincts have kicked in at some points in life, you truly realize where value is. And value for business comes from relationships. You know, it's who you know, right? And um, how much they trust you, like you, and want to help you in some capacity. And <clears throat> at some point I thought, you know, I have to be better at keeping track of business cards. And so I never threw away a business card from anybody like ever. And at some point when I started to have money again, after almost going bankrupt, I hired a, a virtual assistant and said, hey, here are all of my boxes of business cards I've ever collected so far in my life. Can you turn this into an Excel spreadsheet or CRM or something? She said, sure. And however much I paid her, it was a lot. But, you know, there's there were thousands of business cards. This is probably, I don't know, eight years ago, seven years ago at this point. And um, ever since, I, I continue to keep every single business card I've ever collected. Um, Google actually keeps track of every email address you ever send an email to. <clears throat> and so uh, as I was getting ready for Shield Academy to launch, I wanted to have a reason to reach out to everybody I've ever met and with this business because there's a lot of new partnerships. And so... Um, each of those databases that we had created over the years, I spent quality, miserable time in CRM going through every single person I've ever met in my life. I shouldn't call that miserable, but, you know, it's data entry, okay? I did weeks mm -hmm. and weeks of 60-hour weeks, 80-hour weeks doing data entry of checking, okay, where did I meet this person how do I know them? How could they have a partnership in some capacity with Shield? And that added up to 16,000 names um, that I just imported from all the various lists and went through every single one. And a lot of them already had notes attached that I had plugged in at the point that we first in, um, you know, typed them up. But uh, yeah, so I've got a, a HubSpot account with 16,000 emails in it. And it's probably got another 2000 since that point, since I set it up last summer. And that's just, it's, it's enormous value to have that organization. And it's so most salespeople are, I actually have found very few salespeople that are good at CRM. Almost nobody is, 
But it, when salespeople mm -hmm. are good at it and are religious about it, they tend to be the more, um, more successful salespeople. Yeah, it balances their ADD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So one final point that I, I think would be an awesome thing to end on is, you know, we all got hit with the coronavirus. Every Most entrepreneurs have been hit the hardest from the people that I've met. Um, you know, I had my bank shut down uh, and, you know, travel young. Obviously, there's no more travel industry. You were also in the travel industry and you were at this like early time in shield as well. So could you explain like what happened and, and how you, and, and like the, the mask business that you're doing right now, because that's another amazing effort. That's a, another amazing example of finding the opportunity when things look dark. Yeah. The virus has impacted everybody in the planet in some major capacity. And uh, specifically for me, I feel lucky to be healthy. I feel lucky that my family has taken this seriously. I feel lucky for that. I've, I've, I've been working remotely for years and I've got everything set up for that. Um, but the Airbnb business, I lost about $40,000 in a week. Um, uh, I have a car rental business. I lost about $10,000 in a week and uh, I have a speak, I do a lot of speak engagements around the world and I lost several speaking engagements in a week or two. Um, one of which was going to have an all expenses paid trip to South Africa. And my girlfriend and I were super excited to go cage diving with sharks while we were there. And that got canceled. Um, shield, uh, March was going to be the month that we collected all the checks for investment for shield for our first round of capital. And, um, uh, we had verbal commitments for two thirds of our goal. And of those, 60 days after the fact, I still have only collected 20% of what had already been verbally committed. So that's how it's impacted investment. So I'm actually on the order of magnitude of $400,000 short of where I plan to be at this point. So lots of decisions in my life have to be changed. And you got to pivot. You got to move fast. Um, happened to start getting into selling masks because um, we had a trusted supplier, have a trusted supplier. And uh, that's been interesting. And that's uh, been meaningful to provide the right products, the PPE to the people who need them, while also be able to earn income from it that I think will be passive or somewhat passive long term. Um, because I needed to generate some cash to keep everything flowing. That is incredible getting crushed like that and then still being able to be like, all right, well, how are we going to move forward? Because we can't stop. It's yep. not an option. Not an option. The true survivalist mentality. So one final note, Tyler, what last piece of advice would you throw out to an entrepreneur who is thinking about beginning the journey or is in the early stage stages of starting a business in today's new age? The, the biggest thing that I think holds entrepreneurship back is the fear of it failing, right? And there are so many people with great ideas that just want to build something perfect before they launch. And even I've struggled with that at points in my life. 
And in my experience, the best thing to do is just go. Just start talking about it. Start pitching it. Start selling something, even if you don't have it already yet. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't and you keep trying to build something perfect, you're going to run out of money. You're going to run out of, of emotional fuel. And mm-hmm. so many people give up on their dream. So many people makes me so sad because they never really start. And so many great business ideas could happen. And so much new freedom for great people can happen if you just go and just just start. And even if you don't have all the answers, you don't know how sales tax works, just go. You know, go go sell 20 grand and then hire somebody for a few hundred dollars to figure out that answer, right? Um, just go. Awesome. How can people get a hold of you or a hold of Shield or any of your other services? <laughs> you Google Tyler Olson, I'll come up. Uh, uh, you can email me at tyler at tylerolson.net. And that's probably my most generic email address that I'll have forever. So uh, feel free to email me there. Uh, you can tweet me at Ty Olson, that's T-Y-O-L-S-O-N. And I uh, would love to help. Next up on the Age of Entrepreneurs is Moses Mwanguzi, who grew up in Uganda, literally living on pennies, fighting to stay alive, and now is the hero of his village, providing thousands of kids with nearly free education and tons of families with income and opportunity through microloans. He is my business partner in Mavulai Financing, one of my dearest friends, and I am so excited to have him on the show to help share his story. For more episodes like this, go to theageofentrepreneurs.com and hit subscribe.